Well, welcome to Mission Driven You. This is a podcast for people who want to do good and do well in the world. And I'm really jazzed today. I get to interview Andre Pizzu, who is an author, he's a health enthusiast, he's a biohacker, he's an entrepreneur. He's one of these sort of multi-hyphenated kind of people that I love talking to because the people listening to this uh, podcast are usually entrepreneurs or social entrepreneurs, people trying to make the world a better place. And so I love bringing creative thinkers on on the podcast so we can think broadly and really inspire people. So first of all, Andre, welcome. Thank you, Will. Really glad to be here. So as I mentioned in the green room in the in the call before the call, I always like to ask one question first, which is tell me the story of somebody or some group that made a difference for you. When you look back on your journey, you're like, wow, that was a that was really important for me. And this is one that you did ask me, and I had to think for a couple of minutes before I could answer this. Right. And I think it's a fun story in in one sense, because you wouldn't imagine some people that come into your life that they would shape you in such a way or how one thing leads to another. But in Estonia, where I live, when I was growing up in school, we had these exams at the end of high school. So you had to write an 800 word essay. And I hated writing. I was not good at writing and I hated these things. I wasn't good at, I just felt I wasn't good at it. And I generally felt like, let's say like, I felt like I never thought I was especially gifted. I never thought I was smart. I was always looking at the other kids, realizing, oh, they're actually reading things. I never touched a book in my life before I turned like 20 something, literally. I never picked one up. Maybe some like reading that I had to do in school, but I always managed to find a way out of it somehow or cheat on the tests or anything, you know? So when we had to write this 800 page essay, because at it's it was an important milestone if you wanted to graduate high school and if you wanted to get into college. So you really had to do it and score high. So I wanted to get into a good college and I had to get a good score on my essay. So before the actual essay, we have these test essays, let's call them. It's a, it's a practice run. So they give you five topics that you know nothing about. Then you have to, on the spot, you have, I think, four to six hours to sit in a room and you have to write out this 800-word essay. And it has to be good and detailed and uh, perfect language and everything. And in Estonian is a difficult language. When you're in high school, you're still learning the language yourself. <laughs> and this, as a side note, can be attested to by, as a living example, my girlfriend. She speaks seven languages and she's lived wow. in Estonia for six years now. And she does not speak Estonian, even though she's really trying to learn. There's Slovakian, Mandarin. German, Spanish, Hungarian, English, and there was, there was one more which is escaping right now. So Estonian was supposed to be eight and she hasn't managed to learn it. Anyway, at the test essay, I scored 20 out of 100, which was a failing grade. And after this, because I needed to get a good score, my mom found me a tutor. And this tutor was an 80-something-year-old woman and she was on the board of the, she was previously on the exam board and she had already retired by then. So this lady started teaching me how to write an essay, how to write a good essay. And the lessons were not at all what I expected. The first thing on the first day she told me is forget everything you learned at school. Just throw it all out of the window. It's completely useless. Forget everything your teachers have been teaching about writing, about thinking, everything. Just like throw it out the window. Let's sit down. Let's talk. 
She didn't even make me read books. She brought out some books and we just discussed them. And all the lessons were just us discussing things. And she was in some roundabout way teaching me how to express myself better and how to think about things and how to put my thoughts on paper. She was teaching me how, well, she was teaching me communication, which is all you basically need when you want to do good writing. And she told me, it's like, okay, sure, there are rules. The essay has to be 800 words. There has to be this and this and this. Forget all these rules. As long as you're writing, put something down, make it sure it makes sense. Express yourself, have a beginning, have an end. If it's 400 words, doesn't matter. You're still going to score a hundred, even though you're missing like half of the thing, if it's really good. And if it's justified, that is 400 words. And what ended up happening, long story short, longer story short, I scored on the actual test after only like four or six months of tutoring, I scored a hundred, a perfect hundred. <laughs> From 20, a failing grade to 100. Right. And this has carried with me because after this, I took journalistic writing at school and everything and writing and expression and communication has become an intricate part of my life because I do these podcast appearances. I used to write a blog. I do copywriting. I do performances like on on stage speaking, speaking. That's the word that I'm looking for. So she's a person who I feel Looking back and connecting the dots, she really had this big impression on me and this big positive, uh, this big positive impression on me. Yeah. Of yeah. Just like telling me how to forget, telling me that I should forget everything that the schools taught me. And I guess that's also the root of my, let's say, strong anti-establishment stance. Maybe <laughs> as well. <a> <laughs> you learned it from the best. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, that's a good segue, actually. So I I was telling you before we got on the podcast, I've I've done something with you that I've never done before, which is I reached out to my network and I said, hey, I'm interviewing Andre, renowned expert on biohacking and AI. What would you love to ask him? And so this is one question. I've got some of my own questions, but this is one question that came up that really relates to to what you just shared. Thank you, by the way. That's a great story. Um, The question someone asked is, how do I think about AI. Now I know this guy and he's an engineer because so he's used to thinking, okay, what's the right answer to the problem? But AI is a very different way of thinking. So, you know, you're a renowned expert on AI. We're going to talk about more of your, your, uh, your story, but like, how do you approach the AI prompt? It's you, it's Andre sitting in front of chat GPT or whatever, whatever you're using. How do you think about approaching artificial intelligence? I think I'm going to lead this with that probably most likely in five, 10 years, when we're looking back to now, the AI that we have, we won't even consider this as AI in the future because it's a large language model. We give it a lot of, let's say, uh, intelligent, we, we assume it's intelligent, but it's not really intelligent. It's an algorithmic model. It's just predicts the way it works it's predicting the next most likely letter the next most likely character the next most likely word the next most likely sentence it's just a predictive algorithm it's a large language model which is what it's called then again on the other hand we do not know how consciousness works so this might as well be how consciousness actually works we don't know (laughs) right so the first thing is that it's not really intelligent but 
it sort of looks like magic so we can say it's kind of magic and ai the way i think about ai is that it's a tool just like any other it's an assistant it's here well i can't say it's here but it helps me get things done faster it helps me give feedback to my thinking and it helps me to more clearly express myself again have clearer expression because if i want something done and i'm not able to explain it to the ai the way i want it to done that means that i lack the vocabulary or lack the expressional skills to describe what i really need to be done and ai has forced me to sometimes when i'm trying to describe something to ai i realize that i don't even know what i want or like i'm not really expressing it so i start asking the ai like okay how do you call this concept if i want this and this and this and it looks kind of this and feels kind of like that how do you call this i get a word for it i plug it into ai and soon enough it works so i'm thinking my approach to ai is the way it exists in my head it's a coding buddy and it's a writing buddy it's somebody who i bounce ideas off with and it gives me fresh inputs because the way i personally work the best is i work off input i'm very bad at generating things from scratch but as soon as i see something down on paper already something written down i get ideas and ai has completely eliminated this writer's block for me for example yeah yeah that's so, powerful that's powerful and I, I i wonder i love the story you shared at the beginning of this this 80 year old writing teacher who said just throw out the rules I mean, I wonder if if the new your new eighty year old writing teacher is the AI prompt. Could be in that sense, but I don't think they. That that's the thing. We think AI is going to re replace all these people, but I wouldn't think that ChatGPT could do this for me because if I hadn't arrived to that point already, I wouldn't know how to use ChatGPT properly. So it's because of the groundwork that this lady laid out, the life experience and everything, because of her approach, the teaching style this worked of course you could teach ai to teach like that but i guess we're not there quite yet there are a few projects that have been trying to make ai mentors one of them is actually started by a friend of mine it's called mind sarah what he does is he brings he has ai mentors that help you improve your thinking so he has a lot of mental frameworks and everything there so it's, it's getting like a lot of attention online and this project is growing like crazy. So it's definitely something if people are into thinking and mental models and want to organize their thoughts and have like some, let's say, thinking related goals, then that's something definitely to take a look at. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of mine, Sarah. I heard about it from you actually, and I've been using it. Uh, they're not a sponsor of this podcast, but we'll put a link in there just, just so that people can, if they're, if they are interested in it, they can find out more. Yeah. Awesome. Because that's, that's certainly this, my story is that I had a certain innate ability, but ChatGPT and, and AI didn't replace me. It just makes me better. Exactly. But yeah. then again, there is this part that you're let's say let's let's put a label on it you're what we would call then ai enabled ai empowered let's let's right. call it that way but the population that is not ai empowered yet because of lack of access to ai in computers in general you could see the segregation that might start happening between these people especially in the workforce and everything else yeah so yeah. It, it's yeah. A, it's a it's a it's anybody's guess how this is gonna like play out or like where are we gonna move are more people gonna start getting 
this access or is there going to be some sort of like a, let's say a workforce crisis so yeah. ai can definitely start replacing people right i guess a lot of graphic designers and some writers have already <laughs> felt it not a laughing yeah. matter but i that's the that's the nature of reality it is the nature of reality and you're right it's not a laughing matter and 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 it's it's interesting. And just a quick commercial, Andre is going to be on a symposium that I'm hosting at the end of September, where we're going to be talking about these issues, like what's the future of work? And this is a big question. Now, Mike, and I care deeply about that inequality and the segregation that's occurring. One of the questions I'm thinking, because I'm always such an optimist, is, is it possible that AI could also be a way of leapfrogging for certain populations to leapfrog or get ahead of those in power or those with certain status. Because, you know, the example I, that I always, always comes to mind is if you remember Rwanda, the nation in Africa that they lost about a decade because of civil strife and they didn't keep up with the infrastructure. And so Rwanda really, they never buried a bunch of wires in the ground. They went right to cell phones and as a result, Rwanda is one of the most advanced, technologically advanced nations in the world because they didn't have some of the infrastructure. I wonder, I mean, this is, I don't, I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on this, but I wonder if in some ways AI and, and, and enabling technologies couldn't actually help people leapfrog. There is certainly a very big opportunity here. If yeah. a whole nation adopts AI and uh, enable AI enables their population, there is a lot of lot of potential upside there. For example, another another parallel example to Rwanda is Estonia, my own home country. We're an ex-Soviet country, but we have managed to build up our GDP the fastest out of the ex-Soviet countries. And Estonia is a very strongly technologically enabled country with uh, things like digital ID and other things being more than 10 years old, we have e-residency, we have so many programs, we have, Estonia is called the startup mafia because we have so many startups coming out from here. Things like Skype and some other big platforms you might have heard of are invented by Estonians. It, it's, it's a very technology-oriented nation. Now, not to say that I necessarily agree with everything, and while it was good for, let's say, 10, 20 years, very impressive that we were developing so fast. I see worrying trends where this technology is now leading and where some of the politics is leading. And now I'm afraid for, let's say, our country and even our freedom. And the AI might just have same effects in the long term. You never know where the technology is going to lead and how it's going to develop because AI can be used to do very bad things. And if we get general artificial intelligence, a computer that's actually intelligent has its own thoughts, feelings, agendas. We don't know if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing, if it's going to be a digital god or a digital slave master. Right. So yeah. it's it's yeah. like we're living in a science fiction film right now. And we're we're already too far on the... Wait, can I swear on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Please. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if you imagine a fuck around, find out curve, we're already pretty high up in the in the uh, cross section. We're going to find out soon because we've been fucking around for a while now. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and I do think there's a sense, and I'm going to use this to segue to talk about biohacking too, because there's, I think there's a sense in which yeah, we're in a, the middle of a sci-fi film, but we're also writing it, aren't we? Like we get to write the future of this sci-fi film. So I'm wondering, like that to me is a nice segue to talk about biohacking because 
I think probably where I learned about you first is as a biohacker. So like talk about biohacking, why you got interested in it. What was in, what was in your story that, that caused you to be interested in that question of how we, how we hack our own bodies, our own selves. And I don't know if you know about this actually, but I do have an origin story for this. Please. In uh, to late 2015, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So that's sclerosis multiplex. Do you know the disease? Yeah. 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 And for, every, for people who are not familiar with it, it's a debilitating autoimmune disease where my own nervous system attacks the lining of my nerve cells called the myelin sheath. So my own, my own immune system is attacking it and slowly degrading the myelin sheath, which causes the nerves to start essentially misfiring. And the symptoms are very wide ranging. You could, for example, one day wake up and be blind or lose uh, all motor functions, not being able to walk. It's one of the most common symptoms that comes out in older age when people have multiple sclerosis. There's all sorts of other things as well, just like generally painful and very unpleasant symptoms that you do not want to, you do not want to have. And there is no cure for autoimmune diseases in the Western biomedicine or multiple sclerosis either. And when I was diagnosed, I was told by a group of doctors surrounding me, like in a movie, they're breaking the bad news for me, to me. And they said that I have to get ready for some changes because my life is never going to be the same. Well, my life was never the same, but not the way they, uh, they meant it. They told me I'm going to have to start injecting immunosuppressants every other day for the rest of my life. No other choice, nothing else to do, no way to get better. This is it. This is my life now. Well, immunosuppressants, as I said, there's no cure. And the problem with immunosuppressants is that they do exactly what the name implies that they do. They suppress your immune system. So your immune system wouldn't attack the lining of your nerve cells, wouldn't cause them to misfire, would not degrade them. But the root cause of the issue, why your body was acting up, that is going to still be in the background somewhere doing things. And they didn't know what the root cause was and they're not planning on treating it. So basically taking immunosuppressants is like putting a patch on a boil or like putting, putting, a, putting a bandaid on a, like a, let's say an infected wound and hoping it's going to get better. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse and it's going to get faster. And if, at one point, the bandaid is not going to do anything anymore. So the tactic is that you cover up the symptoms as long as you can. The condition worsens in the background. And when the immunosuppressants don't do anything anymore, well, tough shit. Mm. And that's the Western biomedicine approach, unfortunately. And I, at that moment, when I heard these things, I kind of refused to accept anything. I was in complete denial. I said, well, in my head, I was going like, hell no, this is not my life. This is not real. This is not how I'm going to go down. This isn't happening. No. So I kind of declined all treatment. I never accepted any conventional treatment. And fortunately, my parents supported my decision because they were like, hey, you know what's best for you? You do you. Uh, even though I guess it was really hard for them and they also were afraid and everything. So I, I'm really fortunate to have had the support of my parents. And what I started doing is I had no concept of what healthy living is, no idea about health or wellness or anything, but I went online and I started researching how to get better. And 
I mentioned my anti-establishment stance in the beginning of the episode, and I've never been one to follow rules. And I've always tried to manage to find like a different way of doing things. So I started working my way backwards. I started with the most illegal, underground, dangerous and experimental Russian treatments that are going to destroy my immune system and build it back up. And that's going to make me get better in some very weird forums. And as I was researching, I started to realize like maybe, just maybe, the illegal Russian treatment isn't the way to go. And it sounds really banal, but I had this like whole body realization that maybe, just maybe, if I want to get healthy, I should be healthy. <laughs> Mind blown. Okay. How do I start being healthy? Because I was a, like an average 20 year old, you know, partying, drinking, eating junk food, whatever. And I started researching things and it's been a long road because after I found out I was hit by like, I was also battling depression because it shot me in a depression. I wasn't feeling good. Then I started overthinking it. I was feeling all these symptoms and everything. And it took years and a lot of work with myself to start. I think it was 2018 when I finally in my own head declared myself. So two and a half layers later, declared myself symptom-free. And it was two and a half years of very hard work, but it was after 2018, it was still a couple of years of work. And now when I'm into biohacking and I'm really optimizing everything down to the T, but back then I was just trying to get rid of the symptoms and everything. And I did almost everything you can imagine. I can't even list the things. I don't remember what I did. And the problem is when people are asking me like, oh, how did you get better from MS? I have no idea how I get better. I did everything. Every single healthy habit and thing you can imagine, I tried it. So it might have been something of those, but it might have also just been my general mindset because I also ended up doing uh, plant ceremonies, trauma work. And I really feel that those are the things that helped me the most. Just yeah. coming into, into terms with myself, my own past trauma, my own past life, resolving it in my head and going through the journey. And I really feel that that's one very important factor of me getting better. Of course, all the fasting helped. I even wrote a book on even wrote a book on fasting called Mastering Fasting. And these meditation, sports in general, cold swimming, that's how I met my current uh, future, uh, soon to be mother of my child. Congratulations, and, by the way. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it's exciting times for me. <laughs> Hasn't quite hit me yet. There's still a couple of months to go. So that's how step by step I started getting into it. Just trying to find ways on how to get better and experimenting on myself along the way. And that was my introduction to biohacking. So we could yeah. take this anyway. It's just like, I, I kind of I kind of trailed out there. At one point. No, that's fantastic. Actually, and it's great because what I heard from you is what I've discovered for myself and what I've heard from other people is that there's different modalities and different things you can try. But the one thing that I hear in common among all of us who are trying to biohack and trying to really improve our life is is growth mindset and owning our own story. Like, so at, at what point did you come to, so you kind of mentioned it already, but yeah, if you want to be healthy, be healthy. Like, how did you translate that into the way you thought about being healthy and the way you took responsibility for your own life? 
So in 2018, when I dis- when I decided that I was symptom free, I remember I was traveling with some friends. We were in Morocco. Then I came back to Estonia. Then I had a thing with a girl back then. Then we there was wasn't a healthy relationship. Then we got into like a sort of a fight, and I just said like I'm out. So I bought a plane ticket the next morning and just flew away from Estonia one way ticket, <laughs> escaping my problems. And I just flew to Thailand. I was working all night on my uh, computer, finishing up work stuff. I landed in Bangkok airport, hadn't slept a single hour, stepped out of the airport, like eyes barely open. It's like, okay, wait, what am I going to do here? I have no plans. So then I remember, then I, I was a vegan back then, not a vegan anymore for the past two or three years already. But at one point I did it for seven years. I opened the vegan restaurant app went, took a taxi to the nearest vegan restaurant. And then I remembered on a computer that, oh, I saw this Facebook video about this island in Thailand called Koh Panyan. Okay, got a plane ticket there, flew over there. And in my head, guess, and on the way, I maybe it was from an airport or something because I had before and during traveling, uh, as I mentioned, I had never read books basically at all. Didn't touch one. And I remember I was... I was working with this event because I was a photographer and a filmmaker and I was working with this event just like prior to traveling, like a couple of months earlier where we were sailing around Croatia. And I remember seeing with the, like some, a guest from the event had a book on their table, which was Stealing Fire by Stephen Kotler. And I just sat down and I read it a bit and looked around. Okay, cool book. looks cool. And I grabbed a copy I think from the airport on the way to Bangkok, I just saw it there. I grabbed it. Th- then I was going to this uh, Copenhagen Island. I had just also bought a brand new MacBook like a month earlier. And I had the idea that, okay, I'm going to do some yoga maybe. And I'm also going to be trading crypto on the island because that was the ICO <laughs> times of the ICOs. Right. I think just before the ICO buster, just after somewhere around that. So I'm going to be trading some crypto. So I had this whole master plan. and. On my way to the hotel on the Copenhagen Island, my laptop just died, completely dead. Would not turn brand, on. And brand new, right? Brand new, dead. Yeah, yeah. Would not turn on. When I got to the hotel, okay, it doesn't work. Okay, can't do anything with it on the island. Then my actual trainer, because I was doing my time boxing then, and my trainer, my coach messaged me like, hey, I saw your stories, that Instagram stories that you're on Copenhagen. We're actually in Phuket. We're going to fly over there. Next day, they flew over there, him and like five other guys, and they wanted to go dirt biking. They said, don't go dirt biking. We were like, we're going to go dirt biking. They asked us, have you, has any of you done this before? No. They said, okay, but this island is not the best place. It's going to get dark. It's going to be raining and generally bad idea. We're like, don't care. We're we're going. All of us got hurt. All of of us got hurt. I hurt my wrist. So computers offline. I hurt my wrist no yoga. Right. So, and th- then the other guys left. One of them introduced me to podcasting and because we were talking and chilling. So one of them introduced me to podcasting. Then the day later they left. So I was left on the island alone, no computer, hurt wrist, but I had my book and I was just introduced to podcasting podcasts. And I started reading the book. I really enjoyed it. And the podcast that they introduced me to was um, London Real by Brian Rose. And the first ever episode that I listened to was with Bruce Lipton on the biology of belief. 
And I was at that point in my own journey where I had just kind of finished my first uh, plant ceremony and everything. I was just starting to feel better. So after listening to that and having the whole month for myself, I started listening to a lot of podcasts. I started getting some more books on the island. So I was reading and listening, reading and listening. And I started then programming my own mind. And that's how I got into it completely through chance because my laptop died. I hurt my hand and I didn't have anything better to do completely alone on Copanyan. I love that story. And it, it could be by chance or it could be that the universe was conspiring to prepare exactly. you for, for what you're what you're now doing, what you're now offering. I love that story. If somebody's listening to this, because the people listening to this tend to be older entrepreneurs, when I say older, 40s, 50s, people who are looking sort of maybe for their second chapter in life. And they're like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in biohacking and I, I kind of want to take control. I know you can't, they can't replicate your journey, but I'm wondering if you can think of two or three things that are sort of easy places to start in terms of biohacking and taking control of your own journey. The main concept, the main thing you have to understand is that you can stack how many ever good or great things or biohacks that you want but all of those good things will never do on will never undo the damage that you caused yourself with your bad habits. It's the same as you're never gonna outrun a bad diet. So the first step is eliminating bad habits, and the second step is then building good habits. And the way I would I would really recommend approaching things is, and this saying is from Tim Ferriss. I'm I'm gonna butcher it, but it went something like rules and routines. Not gizmos and gadgets. Yeah. It, it actually yeah, the original is, actually rhymed. Yeah, yeah. The original. Yeah. I think the original rhymed, but something like that. <laughs> so, we all know somebody, or maybe you're that somebody. Other people that at some point decided that they're gonna go healthy. So they started working out five days a week. They started eating a strict diet. They started fasting, cold plunging, and everything. But ultimately, it ended up lasting for only like five days, maybe two weeks maximum, yeah. and then. Yeah. They go back to the old habits. The trick to building new habits is baby steps. You start very simple, very small habits. And once you've nailed something, then you add new behavioral changes. But the trick to actually giving up bad habits is giving them up all at once. Because bad habits are often interlinked. So let's say that after work, you're, you grave a cigarette. You always smoke after work. but when you're smoking, you also want to be sitting on your couch. Let's let's say let's say uh, somebody smokes weed, so you right. like to smoke weed after work. But when you're smoking on, uh, when you're smoking, you're also eating pizza. You're also sitting on your couch in front of the TV, not moving. Watching Netflix, yeah, exactly. So all Perfect. of these bad habits are interlinked. So instead, if you just after work went for a walk. Instead of watching Netflix, you could give up all those other bad habits as well because they're interlinked in that sense. So give up some bad habits and take it simple, easy, really easy to build new habits. And the new habits when it comes to biohacking, when it comes to general health promotion, is they don't have to be complicated because biohacking is very sexy in that sense that we all have to want to do hyperbaric oxygen therapy. We want to get a cold plunge, even though cold plunge is great, or we want to have like pulsed electromagnetic field mattresses or the, all these other things. They sound fancy, but you don't need them. 
the simplest of things, the simple habits are the most effective because they're easy to do and you can do them all the time. Going for walks, walking like 10, 20,000 steps per day. Perfect. Do it. Then maybe if you want, if you're, uh, if it works for you, you can try fasting. It's a more complicated one. There's also this concept called earthing or grounding, just walking around barefoot or seeing actual daylight within 30 minutes of waking up. So you wake up, don't stare at your phone, go actually outside for a walk, get natural sunlight into your eyes without sunglasses, without anything between for at least 30 minutes. That's going to spike your stress hormones, which is basically the positive stress, which is going to kickstart your hormonal cycle for the day. And you're making sure that you're going to get a good night of sleep later on. Having proper sleep hygiene, sleeping well, all of these things are going to give you multitudes of more bang for the buck or and other benefits compared to all these fancy gadgets and Apollos and neural and whatever you can find of Kickstarter. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. And that's been my own experience as well is, you know, I started my journey with a morning workout and then the morning workout led to intermittent fasting and the intermittent fasting led to this and led to that and to where I have a, a habit stack now. Let's drill down on fasting though, because I because you are, you, you've written a really powerful book on mastering fasting. Tell us a little bit about the book and how to get started. We'll put a link by the way um, to the book in the show notes, but tell us how to get started taking control of your your diet. So the book, the writing story is funny as well. It was originally so Instagram post, became a blog post, became an article, uh, became uh, a se- like a, I think a small seminar or like a course. And then it ultimately evolved into a book. So I never set out to actually write a book. It just happened somehow. I used to be very, very bullish on fasting that everyone should do it. It's the magical drug. It's the cure-all and everything. But the more you research it, the more you live with it, the more you realize that, okay, there's not, not, it's not a panacea. And the book, I really, really wanted to write a balanced book, uh, something that tells you all the possible benefits, but also there's room for caveats and nuance there. So I didn't want to completely just shill something out of for the sake of it being popular and selling some books and everything. And I wrote it ultimately because out of my frustration with the lack of resources back then, I guess there are some uh, resources now, but that was my attempt of gathering all the information that I could find. And this is my interpretation of the information that I found. And uh, fasting works, but you have to be careful with fasting because as everything, it has its trade-offs. Fasting is really great for men and it can be pretty great for women. But for men and women both, there are again caveats. Sometimes it can work against you or your goals. For men, if you're a healthy male, if you're a healthy young male, it's going to help you. If you want to lose excess fat, if you want to have some mental energy, it's going to help you with all these things. If you're an uh, older male, then it might help you with testosterone. It might help you get rid of that dad bod. It might help you uh, just control your satiation in general, but you can certainly overdo fasting and harm yourself because there's all these other modalities like the 16-8, there's the 18-6, there's the uh, 24, there's the 23-1, the OMAD, the monk diets, and all these different things. So it's about finding 
the fasting modality that works for you. And this requires some experimentation. And if you're going to pick up fasting before you start fasting, let's say you've heard about it, you're convinced that you want to go start doing one meal a day, or maybe you've been doing one meal a day for a while now. I highly, highly recommend running a panel of running a panel for your thyroid, test your thyroid hormones, see if fasting is serving you. Because if your thyroid hormones are not healthy for some reason or out of balance, then fasting can do more harm. You generally want your thyroid to be healthy before you start fasting. And this is something that I've also learned recently. You could also have a look at your testosterone and other things, which is always great to check when you're a man. But in general, it can do harm and you just want to be careful and you want to be sure that you're not harming your body more. And thyroid is one thing that you want to pay attention to. Then you want to think about whether it's actually serving your goals, the way you're fasting is serving your goals. If you want to build muscle, if you want to put on a lot of muscle, you have to eat a, you have to eat a lot of food. And if you're doing one meal a day, it's difficult to eat a lot of food. And we're constantly getting new research out about fasting. So some of the concepts, it's difficult to say where I stand with them right now because I have not delved deep uh, during the past year and seeing if anything changes. But in general, I still, I still hold the stance that fasting can be beneficial, even though I myself am not fasting right now because my thyroid is not healthy and I'm currently working on fixing my thyroid. And at some point I might start fasting again. And yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of these things for women. It's really easy to overdo fasting. So you really want to be careful with that. Generally, it seems that for women, what is regarded safe, if you're in the reproductive years of your life, 14 hours of fasting window and 10 hours of eating window. So 14, 10, that seems to be the sweet spot that you can maintain without harming yourself too much. But women should really test their sex hormones when they're fasting because caloric deficit can shut down your reproductive systems and harm your sex hormones. And this is something that you don't want to be playing around with because what ends up happening is that you're going to put a lot of stress in your body and you might end up gaining weight and causing like irreversible harm later on. So it has its time and place and it has a lot of nuance and you want to know this nuance before you start fasting and before you start experimenting with these things. So it's not yeah. this straightforward and it's, it's kind of, it's on a case basis. So you have to figure out if it's going to actually work for you and if it's actually serving you. That's really helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Because I, I know even for myself, I mean, I've been doing intermittent fasting, but I, what, what I'm taking away from this is remember to, to do those tests to, to have the panel of tests done, which I haven't probably done in nine months or more to keep track of things. This is really great. Thank you. I want to have you back because we didn't even talk about what I hoped we were going to talk about, which was Contrarada and, and the way you help businesses use, use podcasts. So I want to have you back. I also, just a quick plug as a reminder for folks listening that Andre is going to be on a symposium on the future of work at the end of September. And I hope you can join if you're listening. You'll hear some commercials for that and you'll be able to sign up for that reasonably soon. Here's the last question I want to ask. So with everything you do, so you, you take control of your own body, you're, you're exploring these new technologies that are giving people power to live, you know, to, to sort of take control of themselves, their journey, their, you know, their lives. 
I want you to kind of look into the future and let's imagine that we have a utopian future, not a dystopian future. Let's imagine that the generalized artificial intelligence hasn't come, come and taken over the world. And this isn't, you know, 2001 a space odyssey. What could the world look like if, if people began to take control of their own bodies, their own destinies, uh, take control over their own careers by using some of these enabling technologies, like what could the world look like? I want you to just dream for, for a minute or two on, on what could be in, in 10 or 15 or 20 years. My hopes is that when we're going the right way, when we're heading in the right direction, we're going to start living more in harmony with nature and our biology. Because I seriously dislike the idea of the natural fallacy that people say, oh, it's a fallacy that if you think natural is always better. I really think that natural always better and there's that there's no such thing as a natural fallacy and that going back to our roots and designing our environment to match our biology designing our environment in a way where it enables our biology enables us to grow and everything and flourish then that would want to be that would be the future that I would want to see stop using pesticides get back to regenerative farming have small farms have our own gardens and everything. So we take charge of our own foods, our own growing, get back to trade. So the, my dream is that with the development of technology and everything, we start seeing the benefits of doing things simply and having a simpler and a more stress-free life. So that is something that I dream of. I love that dream. I love that dream. Andre Pizzu, thank you. This was great. I'm so excited to share you with uh, the audience. And I'll put links to, to the ways you can find Andre in the world in the show notes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, for sharing with the audience. Fun. All right. Great. Okay, great.